0: one 990 the number to get a of Savan, James, the rest of the team. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Welcome once again to the Insurance and Injury Law Show. James Fireman, you're my guy. Savan's away doing other things. He's working. He's a hard worker, or apparently in theory. Uh, we'll get to that a little later on. Injury calculator, we'll touch down on that too, but we've got a lot of stuff to get through. Some emails, a bunch of questions, and uh, you got a case off the top you want to talk about, brother. What's going on?
1: Sure do. So I have a gentleman who contacted me a while ago. He had... Fallen in a store, broke his wrist. What had happened is the store had an unmarked step; it was a little bit higher than it should have been. There was no handrail. A few things about it that really didn't meet the code. What you would expect in there. And so he had fallen. He he comes to me, and I take a look at it, and I say, "Okay, well, that sounds like it's a pretty good claim. Um, Can you go out, or you know, have a family member go out and just take pictures? You know, don't cause a big fuss or anything, but Mm -hmm. just go to the store, take a couple pictures." Which he did, and so I had a chance to look at the pictures, and they all support everything that he told me. It's just a weird looking step, right. So we start a claim, and a few months later, I get a defense from the from the store. And then shortly after the lawyer who's representing the store, writes me a letter saying we're not going to give you any money there's nothing wrong with this here's this picture mm-hmm. and everything was fine with it and they, so the picture that they send that the lawyer sends looks very very different everything is to code in there they, it's been redone the you know the step is the same height uh, there it's marked there's a rail they fixed it yeah, yeah. they fixed it. And so I'm looking at this. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't looked at my client's photo in a few months at this point, so it wasn't fresh in my mind. And so I'm looking at this photo that they give me, and I'm, I'm thinking, why did I start this claim? This looks fine. Well, right. you know, but I go back and check my file, of course, and I see the difference. It's been Bob Vila, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I don't bring that up to defense counsel. I hold on to it, and we get to examinations last week, and I have the uh, the Original. store the store owner there. Um, and he's he, he's giving his evidence about what's happened. And he's telling me that, oh, yeah, it's, you know, the same as it always was. No. And this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I say, okay, great, that's fine. And meanwhile, I'm not going to challenge him on it. There's no reason to. All I have to do is, after he's done, just show a copy to defense counsel of this photo that my client took. With a time code on it. Right. And, you know, everything <sighs> falls apart at that point. So, you know, the point of all of this is, number one, when you're getting information from, uh, from a defendant, whether it's an insurance company in a disability case or mm-hmm. whether um, it is um, the driver of a car or the lawyer representing the driver of a car um, in a motor vehicle case or the owner of a store in this case, don't take them at their word. Don't believe that what they say is necessarily going to be the case. And number two, and probably more importantly, especially in this case, is if you have the ability to go out and take a picture or get Big evidence, Always. go and do it. Don't wait. My guess is, you know, had my client waited a week or two, they might not have gotten anything. Who knows how quickly they did it? I don't have that information yet. I'm going to get it. But right now, I don't know how quickly they made the changes. And if I didn't have those photographs, my client would be in trouble. There wouldn't really be anything. This is worse. Right. Right. Right, and uh, there wouldn't be anything to support it, and so we'd be in a very different case than we are now. So, if you have um, the ability to go out and take a picture where you slipped and fall, you slipped and fell, and if you have a cell phone, then you have the ability to do it. Totally, take a picture. Take a picture. I, you know, I understand there are going to be circumstances where you're in so much pain that you know even thinking about doing that isn't realistic, and that's fine. But have a family member go and take a picture the same day. Or if you someone can. witnessed it or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Get whatever information you can. Take photographs. Get information from witnesses.
0: Don't wait on that. Make sure you capture it as quickly as possible. And, and especially in a case where it's where it could be outdoors. I mean, concrete doesn't melt. Ice does. So if you've slipped and slipped and fallen on ice, it's even more important to take a picture while it's still there, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. That can change from hour to hour. Uh, 1-888-990-9646 is the number. Uh, injurycalculator.ca. We'll get to that. In just a bit, want to throw an email your way. Uh, James Don writes in, says, My wife was denied LTD because of insufficient medical documents, despite the fact that she has a lengthy report from her oncologist about her cancer treatments. She's in remission, but is still uh, pretty weak, and the adjuster doesn't seem to care. Should we appeal? If so, what's the best way? Well, no, you should not appeal. <laughs> uh, we talk about this every week on the show, and so
1: this is when I'm going to talk about it now. Don't appeal, it's a waste of time. The entire purpose, in fact, of the appeal is to waste time. As soon as your benefits are denied, your disability benefits, you have two years from that date to bring a claim. The clock starts running right away. You can appeal once, twice, three times, ten times. Doesn't reset the clock. Doesn't matter at all. Clock Mm. is still running. Brutal. As soon as they deny your claim, you have two years from that date. And the entire purpose of the appeal process is which is decided entirely by the same insurance company that has already denied your claim. The entire purpose is to delay you from going outside of their system, their closed appeal system, and hiring a lawyer and bringing a legal claim. They want to stop you from doing that. And if they can stop you for two years, if they can keep you in their system for two years, you got no choice. you got nothing you can do at that point, and you're out of luck. So don't appeal. The other thing that I bumped on here in this email from Don is this uh, language insufficient medical documents, so sometimes I hear that language and it's in uh, it's inside of a denial as it is in this case um, and so what they mean here is not that there's insufficient medical documents, but the documents there don't support. Uh, according to the insurance company, the definition of disability. Mm-hmm. The other time that you can hear that, though, is where they're saying, we need more information before we can decide. So they haven't actually denied or cut you off yet. They're saying they need more information. Yeah. And typically that's where they don't have you know core documents like your family doctor's records. That's a reasonable request. So if they're saying we can't make our decision until you get this for us, get
0: it for them. Right. Absolutely. Get on it. We'll take a, a short break. The number is one 990 9646 Lots more to go here. Email simple as well. That is helptheinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six the number to get old Savannah James or the rest of the team at the firm help at the insurance lawyer and if you have questions outside of show hours you maybe want to get an answer uh, quickly MyDisabilityQuestions.com. dot com there's a drop down menu there's a good chance your question's already been asked and answered but have a look at the website and put your question in there and Savannah James get back to those. Uh, Rather quickly, so how often do you see people who are going through, uh, you know, harsh treatments like chemo for cancer, you know, other such treatments like that, they get cut off so abruptly from the long-term disability, and how do you fight these kind of cases? Well, that's a particularly craven
1: example of what insurance companies do. Mm. Um, But really, in a nutshell, they're playing the odds. The insurance company is um, taking a chance that they're going to cut you off, even if you have something that is clearly legitimate, where you're clearly not able to go back to work. They know that there is a very high percentage of those people that get cut off in those circumstances that will not go outside of their own appeal process, the insurance company's appeal process, to challenge that decision. In other words, the people who are cut off, for the most part, aren't going to talk to a lawyer and aren't going to bring a legal claim. They're going to see that language in the denial letter about, oh, you have the opportunity to appeal, and that's going to be attractive to them. And so they're going to do these appeals, and they'll do two, three, or four and get denied, and two years go by, and they've got no choice. So that's what's happening here. What you can do, of course, is you call us. You call us and we'll take a look at your claim. And if there's something there and, you know, if you're fighting uh, cancer and you're, you're on chemo, then there's something there. Um, then, you know, we'll start a legal claim. And that really changes the landscape. It takes it out of the hands of the insurer. They're no longer able to just make arbitrary decisions whether or not it complies with the language in the insurance policy that they've sold you. Now they have to comply with the law because they know if they don't, at the end of the day, there's a judge sitting there that gets to decide if they're not reasonable. So it changes everything once you
0: start a legal claim. Yeah, I think a lot of it on, on the part of people that are uh, being insured and facing getting cut off it's ignorance I don't mean that in a mean way I mean, they just don't know that you can go outside the system to hire a lawyer they just think it's all them and the insurance company so appeal, appeal, appeal done right? so do you ever read comic book, uh, books or did you when you were a kid oh yeah you remember at the back of the comic books they always had
1: um, one of those ads. It was said, the Charles Atlas system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, kicking the it,
0: sand in the face. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, you know, it, it's this, you know, weakling who gets yep. sand in his face and he goes and he trains and he comes back and all of a sudden he's yep. all buff. Yeah. And now it's a different game. This is exactly what's happening. The insurance company is the bully on the beach kicking sand in your face. Yep. You need to go back and you need to go get your own ammunition. You need to buff up, which means you call a lawyer, you get a lawyer on your side. And all of a sudden, this, you know, this bully, who is pushing you around they're they're whistling a a different tune Um, it it changes the landscape it it becomes a completely different experience no longer are they able to just do whatever they want they're not stealing your lunch money anymore Um,
0: they have to play by the book and they you don't get sea monkeys by the way (laughs) i miss those on comic books too you know they don't really do anything but you're gullible when you're a kid not Uh, that i ever not that i ever got those john but i understand that they didn't look exactly like they did in the pictures (laughs) help the insurance is the email area writes in says my ltd adjuster sent me to several doctors and now they want me to go to their clinic for treatments but i'm getting the exact same treatments at my current clinic do i have to switch Do you have to switch?
1: No, 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 you don't have to switch. Um, And if you are really comfortable with your own clinic and you think that you are getting good treatment there, then don't. Um, They can't force you to switch. But you have to consider the risk versus the reward, because even though they can't force you to switch, and even though if you were to reasonably refuse switching, they can't use that legally as a basis to cut you off, that doesn't mean that they won't. They do a lot. Insurance companies do a lot of things that they shouldn't do because they assume most people aren't going to hire a lawyer and challenge them on it. And so my advice is always, you know, consider what is going to be best for you in the long run. And ideally, you don't want to do anything that is going to get you cut off. That doesn't mean that if the insurance company says jump that you have to. It means that you have to consider whether it's worthwhile saying no to them and accepting the risk that that might wind up in them cutting you off. doesn't mean that they will. Right. Um, and you know, they may well not. Uh, but if you are really comfortable with your, with your clinic, I wouldn't do it. If you don't care one way or the other, and the clinic is, that they're suggesting is no more um, convenient, then consider doing it. Having said that, the downside to switching to their clinic is that oftentimes the insurance company will have an ongoing relationship with the clinic. Um, That's and, a nice way to put it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll be fed information and, you know, they can use that against you. So I'd be careful about it for sure. Yeah. Um, so you have to consider the entire landscape, look at the context and consider what's best for you. If you really like the clinic that you're at and it's, you know, an, an upstanding clinic, you're not concerned that... Um, you know that they're doing things um, on the side, and you know are you know being investigated by the police or one of the newspapers. Um, as long as it's not one of those clinics, and you're happy with it, stay there. Yeah, give me some details before we break in the injury calculator. I
0: know Savannah loves this thing.
1: I do too. Um, yeah. It's a really, really great product, and it's excellent for anyone who has never been through um, an injury claim before. So, if you've been injured, whether it's in a car accident, a slip and fall, what have you. Um, Part of what you're able to recover for is what you'll think of as your pain and suffering. But when you think about that, you think, okay, well, what is my pain and suffering worth? How do you put that into monetary amounts? You know, what is the dollar value of a broken knee or a broken leg? Briefly speaking, the answer to that really depends on your situation, and it depends on how your injuries have impacted you. But in terms of actually putting a number on that, the best way we have to assess it is to look at what the courts have done in similar situations. So people who are about your age, which is a factor in determining how much your pain and suffering is worth, who have suffered similar types of injuries. And so what the injury calculator does is it asks you for some very simple information from drop-down menus. It takes about 10, 15 seconds to fill this out. And then it's going to give you a range, a range that your case might be worth for for your pain Based and suffering. Based on
0: past history across the right. country.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, it takes a look at all of the cases in Canada that have decided um, pain and suffering amounts for similar types of cool. injuries for for people who are the same age or more or less the same age. And it gives you a rough estimate. It's a starting point. Now, one thing you've got to keep in mind is what we're talking about here is your pain and suffering. If you've been injured, there may well be other parts of your claim. You you certainly might have a claim for lost income if you're missing any work, both in the past and into the future. And if you're out of pocket for anything and if you need any treatment, all of those things are Mm -hmm. over and above what we're talking about in the injury calculator. This is just to give you a starting point for figuring out how much your pain and suffering might be worth. So you go on the site, you fill it out, um, and it'll give you an estimate. If you want to follow up from there and get in touch with us, there's there's a button to click and it can send the information, but you don't have to do it. There's You're no not. risk. Just go on the site, fill out the information. We'll never know who you are if you don't want us to know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to talk to us afterwards, by all means, um, there's a button there, and it's very simple, but um, it's an excellent way to find out. Just a little bit more information before you start the process.
0: Injurycalculator.ca Email, by the way, helptheinsurancelawyer.ca one 990 uh, 9646 Lots more information and emails coming up here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 9646 is the number. Helptheinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. So, um, you're on LTD. tried to go back to work and run successful because you're still disabled. You're not well enough yet. What can you do uh, Um, Can you go back in LTD? Is it difficult? How about your workplace? So almost every disability
1: policy is going to have a provision that addresses returning to work. And if you look at the language in the policy, it's usually written in a way that would encourage you to return to work. In other words, um, the, the policy language will usually say, You can try and return to work, and if you're not successful, that won't prevent you from continuing to receive disability benefits afterwards as long as you still meet the definition. So if you're reading the language of the policy, what's there in black and white, then the answer is, you know, it shouldn't have an impact. You should be able to try, and you should be able to continue getting your benefits if you're not successful. But that's not always how it plays out. Um, Oftentimes, when you try and return to work, and if you're not successful – Uh, what will happen is the insurance company will say, well, you know, you finished this work hardening program. That's something that they do before you return to work um, to just get your stamina up to a point where you might be able to return on a part-time or full-time basis. So they'll say you've completed this work hardening program and so we think you're okay to go back to work and even though you say that you weren't able to, too bad. Too bad, we're cutting you off. So that will happen even though the language of the policy says that it shouldn't. And then you're in the position of you're no longer receiving your benefits. And so you have to call us and start a legal claim. Um, so uh, you know, I, what I want to leave you with is this, though. My advice isn't don't return to work, not at all. In fact, every single client I've ever had, I've said to them the exact same thing. If you're a doctor and you feel like it is time for you to try and return to work, give it a try. But do it with your eyes open. Understand that even though the policy language suggests that there shouldn't be a consequence if you try and don't succeed, there might be. And you need to be aware of that. That doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do about it. You can. You can start a legal claim and you can recover what you should. But understand that Starting the process means that the insurance company might take a position that you don't like afterwards. So you want to make sure that you are ready to give it a real shot. Once you do return to work and if you're successful, you're in a much better position. So I'm certainly not discouraging anyone from trying to return to work.
0: Just make sure that your doctor is on board and that you feel you're ready to do it. Plus, I mean, if it goes further down the, down the pike than that, you know, they keep giving you hassles for trying to go back to work. It looks good on your part. You tried to mitigate, right? You're not just lying around like a lump saying, oh, I can't work. You actually tried to go back. It didn't work. Absolutely. So if you're, you know, talking about the situation where you try and return to work, uh, you're
1: not successful and the insurance company says too bad we're cutting you off anyway, you bring mm-hmm. a claim, you don't settle and then you have to go to court, which is right. exceedingly rare. Yes. In that circumstance, if you're in court and a judge or a jury are listening to the evidence and they hear that you've made an attempt to return to right. work, that looks good on you. It's, you know, the insurance company can't say this person is a malinger. That's a word that they love exactly. to use. They can't say you're a malinger, that you're not trying, that, you know, you're just sitting around trying to. Sucking benefits. Exactly. They can't say that anymore because you can say, nope, here it is. I gave it a shot, and here's what happened. And, you know, this is all detailed in
0: my doctor's records, and my employer has it. So that definitely will help you if that were to ever happen. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Shauna writes in, says, my union wants to appeal my LTD denial. But I want to know if I can hire you uh, to start a legal claim instead. My collective agreement doesn't talk about LTD at all. Can I hire you if I want to, or do I have to go through my union? Good question. No. So whenever
1: we have someone contact us about a disability claim, the first thing I want to know is whether they are in a union or not. If they're not in a union, then fine. We just proceed to assess the claim on its merits. And you know, usually we can help. Sometimes we can't, but give us a call and we can go from there. If you are in a union, it becomes interesting. There are some occasions where we can help and some where we can't. Usually that's not something that I'm able to figure out unless I have the collective bargaining agreement. So I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but briefly, if you're not familiar, a collective bargaining agreement is a contract between the employees of a unionized group and their employer. And it sets out all of the terms of their working arrangement. And included in that is going to be um, something on disability benefits. It's almost never the case that there's absolutely nothing on disability benefits, as Sean is suggesting in her email. There's usually at least you know a sentence or two, sometimes a lot more, but there's usually at least something. Right. So when I look at the collective bargaining agreement, and I'm looking at it in the context of a disability claim, there are three kinds of agreements that I can find. One kind will explicitly say, you cannot bring a legal claim. You have to go through the grievance and arbitration procedure. That's unusual, but there are those out there that will say that, and if that's the case, we can't help. Can't do it. Sorry to tell you. Number two are cases where it explicitly says in the collective bargaining agreement that you can't use a grievance, that you have to use the legal, the legal claim procedure. Oh, wow. Procedure. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. And so in those situations, we certainly can't help. The much more common scenario, the third group, are the collective bargaining agreements that don't say anything about how you're supposed to challenge a decision about your disability benefits, and in those cases, I need to take a very close look at the language of the collective bargaining agreement because, depending on how much information about the disability policy is actually in the agreement, is going to that's going to determine whether or not you have to grieve a de- a, uh, a denial or whether you can bring a legal claim. Right, and so that's really what I need to look at there. Um, so the first thing you need to do if you're in a union is get a, get a hold of your collective bargaining agreement.
0: Um, send it my way. I'll take a look at it, and I'll let you know whether we can help. Help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca is that email address. It's one as well. If you haven't checked it out yet, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show continues right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 188 990 the number. If you haven't checked it out, fight for my Ltd.com. There's some interesting stuff on that website as well. And there's also the injury calculator to find out what your pain and suffering component should be of your claim if you have one. Injury as well. Uh, Danny sent us an email. Uh, James, I'll read this one to you. It says my wife was rejected for L T D because her doctors can't provide a precise diagnosis of why she is ill. She has memory issues, uh, vision problems, and a whole bunch of things that prevent her from doing almost anything. She's done a ton of neurological tests and they still don't have an answer, but all the doctors are saying that she can't work because of her condition. Can the insurer reject her on the basis that there is no solid diagnosis of her illness? What can we do about it?
1: Um, By the letter of the law, no, they cannot. There is a case that came out almost a year ago. This was in the Supreme Court of Canada. So... This is good law no matter where you are in our country. This applies. And what this case makes very clear is that when you are handling a legal claim, the analysis isn't about the diagnosis. The analysis is about the symptoms. So whether or not medical science has developed to the point where they're able to determine exactly what it is that is causing your wife's issues, Danny, it doesn't matter As long Hmm. as the doctors are saying that this is an illness, whatever it is, whether they know the name of it or not, if this is a medical condition, then she is entitled to receive her benefits as long as she qualifies. Um, And given what you've described, it seems pretty clear to me that she's going to qualify, that she's not going to be able to work. Hmm. So, no, they're not allowed to take that position. Having said that, um, you know, the insurance industry and particularly the disability insurance industry are very slow to adapt to this. They have old ways of thinking, and part of that is certainly um, wanting to have a formal diagnosis, and they will almost always use the lack of a formal diagnosis incorrectly as a basis to say, no, I'm sorry, there's no diagnosis here, therefore you're not entitled. No, no. That's not what the policy says. The policy doesn't say you need a diagnosis in order to be able to receive your benefits. It says that by illness, you must not be able to return to your job or after two years to any job. It doesn't say that it has to be a specific diagnosis. And so they're quite wrong when they take that position, but they also know most people aren't going to challenge them. And so, you know, this goes back to what I said at the top of the show. I was giving the example um, where, you know, you don't want to just take what the Defendant, The insurance company is saying at face value and just assume that they're right. You know, they may be correct in saying that there's no diagnosis. They are correct in saying that here, but they're incorrect in saying that that has any uh, that that is any basis for them to rely on to cut off your benefits. Right. It's not. It's just not. Um, they're not allowed to say no diagnosis, therefore no benefits. They have to go further than that. They have to look at the language of the policy. That is what determines your right to benefits.
0: one 888 the number, help at lawyer.ca. You know, quite often people apply for LTD. Uh, they do so after going through short-term. So what happens when a person is denied short-term? Can they or should they immediately even still apply for long-term? So this is going to depend on
1: the individual and whether their short-term and long-term disability is with the same insurance uh-huh. company. A lot of times it will be. A lot of people will have uh, policies for short and long-term with the same insurer. In that situation, if you've been cut off your short, or if you've been cut off or denied short-term disability benefits, we can start a claim for you right away. There's no reason to wait on that because at the end of the day. Um, we know that the same insurance company is going to take the same position. Uh, the you know the definition usually doesn't change significantly between short-term disability right. and at least the first two years of long-term disability and therefore we can start the claim right away. If there are two different insurance companies, you may not start the claim for short-term disability benefits right away. You may want to wait until you know what's going to happen with your long-term disability benefits and here's why. Let's say you're getting short-term disability benefits and. Initially, And a month before your benefits are cut off, or sorry, a month before you're supposed to start long-term uh, disability, your short-term is cut off. Mm-hmm. So you have one month where there's this gap. You're not getting any short-term. And you apply for your long-term disability benefits. And surprisingly, this, new, uh, this other insurance company is saying, no, no, it's okay. You're approved for long-term disability benefits. So really, all you're talking about is a one-month gap. Right. And you know, depending on how much you're making, it may not be worthwhile pursuing that as a legal claim. Um, if we're talking about uh, $1,000 or $2,000 in lost uh, benefits, it's probably not going to be worthwhile, and you know, we can discuss why. In the long run, if your long-term disability insurer eventually does cut you off, then you may want to bring a claim against both the short-term and the long-term if you're already doing it. But if you don't have a claim against your long-term disability insurer because, thankfully, they're actually paying you, then it may not be worthwhile to bring a claim just against your short-term disability insurer. It really depends on how long they've denied your benefits for.
0: Got a couple minutes left. We'll uh, get through another uh, email quick. Nancy says, my son Owen has been diagnosed with schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder. He's been treated by a few doctors and goes into the hospital as an outpatient. He's 33 and worked at a high-stress job before. He was on LTD for almost two years, and now the insurer wrote saying that he'll be cut off in April of this year. Uh, We don't know what to do, and I'm really worried for him. Nancy, thank you for the email. So one thing I'd
1: like to start off by talking about is a term, change of definition. That's something that we talk about uh, from time to time on the show, and it's important that everyone understands what we mean by that. In most disability policies, the way it works is once you are disabled, there's an elimination period. Sometimes it's four months, sometimes it's six months. After that elimination period is over, you become entitled to receive benefits if you continue to meet the definition of disability under the policy. And so during this elimination period, and once you start receiving benefits for the first two years. The policy will almost always say that you are entitled to receive benefits as long as you are not able to return to the job you had at the time you became disabled. That's called the own occupation period, and it extends for the first two years that you're eligible for your benefits. At the end of those two years is the change of definition. At the change of definition... The definition of disability changes. How do you like that? Change of definition means the definition changes. Amazing, isn't it? What it changes to after two years, you're only entitled to your disability benefits if you are not able to do any job. Sometimes there's more language that will um, define it a little bit further. But essentially, that's the difference. And that's the any occupation period. And so after that period of time, it becomes harder. So what it sounds like, Nancy, um, is that your son's insurer is telling you that the two years is almost up and they're going to be taking the position that in the any occupation period after two years of benefits that Owen is no longer going to be entitled to receive his benefits whether or not they're right is a whole other story right. um, you've indicated that he's got schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder now you know those conditions lie on a spectrum and I don't know how severe they are in this case In some cases, there are people that have those issues that are able to be employed, and in some cases, they are not. So just off the cuff, I can't tell you whether the insurer is right or not, but we would certainly want to take a look at it. So the thing to do, you give us a call, uh, we'll take a look at the medical records, we'll discuss your son's case, and we can figure out whether this is something that we can challenge. But what you should keep in mind is, in most cases, unless it's very clear in black and white, if there is a gray area at all, that means that there's risk on the insurance company. And if they have risk, that means that they're almost certainly going to be willing to pay something for it. So give us a call. We'll talk about what we can do. There's no obligation. Um, and, you know, we're more than happy to discuss what your options and what your son's options are.
0: 1 That number, Nancy, you know the email address already. But if you don't help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, you want to find out what your pain and suffering should be of your case, injurycalculator.ca as well. More insurance and injury law show on the way. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 188-990-9646 is the number. Help the insurance lawyer.ca. Uh, family members or friends can they contact you on behalf of those uh, they care about with uh, issues relating to LTD, or has to be the person themselves? Absolutely, uh, family members or friends can contact us. Anyone can contact us.
1: Um, it, you know, this is something that we talk about frequently on the show. Part of our model, we want to talk to as many people as possible. There's no obligation when you call and you don't have to pretend that, you know, you're calling for yourself. If it's about a family member or a friend, you can say that it's not going to change, you know, the advice that we're going to give you. We're more than happy to talk to you on the phone for free consultation. There's no pressure to come in. There's no obligation to pay us anything. Uh, And we're more than happy to discuss what your options are. Um, you know, if you want to go further than that, then certainly we can meet in person. And again, initial consultations are always free. There is no obligation if you come in and see us or if you call us on the phone. So if you have a family member or a friend that is injured or has been cut off their disability, give us a call. Give us a call. We'll give you information that you can relay to your friend. Or, you know, if you want, we can email it to you and you can pass it on to your friend. Or you can give us or you can give them our number. Whatever works for you is fine. Uh, there's no pressure in this. Um, the other part of this is you know, this may be coming from a place where people want to know if they do hire us, if they do start a claim, are their family members or you know friends are they allowed to be involved in the process? So the answer to that is yes, to a limited extent, yes. Uh, you know, certainly whoever is the injured person, whoever our client is has to be involved in the process yep. as long as they're mentally able to be um, so they have to be involved in the process but if they you know, if they are married, let's say you have a, a husband is injured and he wants to have his wife attend at all meetings with mm-hmm. us or um, so forth that's perfectly fine okay. and frankly I prefer it. If you have someone else who is going to be involved in the decision making on your end then they may as well hear what I have to say directly from It's much better if there's no filter attached to that. So I'm more than happy to have a family member come along um, and discuss as long as you're comfortable with that. Um, And if that's the case, by all means. Uh, I'm a little more hesitant when we're talking about friends, but as long as we're talking about a single individual and it's someone that you
0: trust, then that's fine as well, too. The number is one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The email help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Gail emailed us: "Is uh, my husband's LTD insurer said that they would stop his LTD payments because he was denied by CPP disability? Can they do that? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. They can't. This isn't
1: ambiguous. There are different tests. the The test for CPP disabil- disability is is a more stringent test." Um, and it uses different language. What the CPP disability requires is severe and prolonged disability. That is different language than what is in a LTD policy. LTD policies, as we've discussed, certainly initially, um, is only going to require that you prove that you have an illness or disability that prevents you from returning to the job that you had. It doesn't say anything about severity or prolonged disability. doesn't have any of that language there. So the fact that you've been denied CPP disability, which is a tougher test, means absolutely nothing when it comes to your LTD policy. On the other hand, if your CPP disability is approved... That is a strong argument right. that your LTD ought to be paying you. It doesn't determine anything. They, you know, they can't um, be forced to do it because CPP disability has agreed to pay. But they're going to have a tough time explaining to a judge why their test, which is a, which is an easier test to meet, somehow hasn't been met, whereas the government is saying, yeah, they meet the CPP yeah. disability test.
0: That's really tough for them to explain. So CPP, should you apply for it if you're on LTD, or can the insurer force you to do it? Well, you you should apply. Can they force you to do it?
1: Well, no. I mean, they're not going to come with a gun to your head and say, do this now or else. Uh, But on the other hand, the language of the policy, for all intents and purposes, kind of forces you to do it. Because if you don't apply for CPP disability, almost every LTD policy has language that says the insurance company is entitled to deduct what you might have gotten had you been approved for CPP disability and so if you don't apply then that's just deducted and you never get that money if you do apply it doesn't matter either way because if you apply and you're approved then you get the money from cpp From CPP disability, and that's just a credit that the insurance company doesn't have to pay. You wind up in the same position, actually a little bit better, because you're getting that directly from the government, so you don't have to pay your lawyer anything for that. (laughs) Um, But if you're you're denied CPP disability, the insurance company can't turn around and say, we're entitled to a credit for what you would have got, because you're not getting it. You've complied with the language of the policy. The CPP
0: disability has said no, so they're not entitled to any deduction. So yes, apply for CPP disability. One triple eight we will return our last few minutes with a couple emails. That is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you want to ask any other questions about your disability or disability case, go to fightformyltd.com as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one number 990 9646 the number, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Scotty writes in, says, uh, I've been on antidepressant meds for several years. After the loss of my mother, I'm 42 and I've been on LTD for about three years. The insurer wants me to start a return to work program, but I'm just not ready. And my psychologist wrote them a long letter explaining why it's not the right time. But now they're bullying me and being very confrontational. What can I do? I literally have panic attacks whenever I hear from the adjuster who is uh, just a uh, not a nice guy. We'll put it that way. So what does he do? Well, it's a
1: tough position to be in because my advice is always, as much as possible, try and be compliant with what the insurance company is requesting. That doesn't mean you have to do things that are unreasonable. And if it's causing a great amount of undue stress in your life and they're aware of that, at a certain point, you have to say no. At a certain point, enough is enough. But recognize that when you say that, the likely result is going to be the insurance company is going to cut you off. They're going to they're going to deny your benefits. So you have to be prepared for that outcome. You have to weigh whether it's worthwhile risking getting cut off um, to not comply with whatever it is that they're telling you to do. Another thing this brings me to is a case that I actually talked about a little bit earlier on the show. It was a case where the Supreme Court had said that it doesn't matter about having a diagnosis. It's really about the symptoms. This very same case, they talked a lot. In fact, the case was primarily about subjective mental health claims, about cases where people have been injured, have made a legal claim on the basis of mental health injuries um, or impairments. And so in those cases, what the court has said is that they must be treated the same way that physical injuries are. In other words, you can't make the test harder for a mental health claim than it is for a physical injury. Um, They have to be treated with the same amount of respect. And you can't just say, oh, it's all in your head. You're fine. You know, I don't see any broken bones. Thus, you're okay to return to work. No, that doesn't fly anymore. You have to treat it the same way. Another thing uh, that I bumped on here in Scott's email is that he has the support of his psychologist. That's very helpful. Of course, you want to have the support of your psychologist or doctors that are saying very clearly that your condition is not allowing you to return to work. It's been more than three years for Scott, so he's passed that change of definition. He's in the any occupation period, which again means he's only entitled to his benefits if he can prove that he can't return to any form of work. Which is a tougher test, of course. Um, so what you can do is either you know continue to comply, um, or you know you can say no, enough is enough. And then if they cut you off, then you give us a call and we start a claim.
0: You got two minutes. Answer this one quickly. Jill says appealed my LTD cut off last November. Still haven't heard anything about my appeal from the insurer. I'm strapped for cash. Need the money. How long does it take for them to respond? Once you appeal? Okay, Jill, don't
1: appeal. You're done with that. If you're writing us that question, it means that you're not listening to our show as well. If you're listening to our show, you know, don't appeal. It is a waste of time. We've already talked about this earlier in the show, but it's worth repeating. The Mm. appeal process is only there to keep you in a very closed circle that the insurance company has complete control over. As as long as you are in that closed circle, the insurance company can arbitrarily say yes or no, and they've already said no, so they're gonna keep saying no. So don't appeal. That's really the answer to the question. Yeah. If you want to know, you know, how long does it normally take, there is no normally because this isn't a defined process. This is something is something that the insurance companies make up and the entire purpose is is to delay things, It's to prevent you from bringing a claim within two years. So that is taking a long time. Something that's designed to waste time is taking a long time. That's not surprising. Yeah. Um, does it take a month, three months? I don't know. It takes as long as they want it to take, um, as long as they can really justify it taking without you, you know, yelling and screaming and you know making it cause you to go see a lawyer in and of itself. Um, but there's no set amount, there's no time limit for them to respond. But don't appeal. That's really the bottom line. Don't. You're wasting your time. Give us a call. It's like a kitten with a ball of string and you're the ball of string. Yeah. (laughs) Basically
0: what it is, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's a closed circle. There's no good's going to come of it. They have complete control to make the decision that they've already made, they're going to keep making the same one.
0: Jill, that number, one 990 9646 The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And finally, if you haven't checked it out, you want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim could be, should be, injurycalculator.ca as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.